Today's episode is focused on a daily rule of life. In this talk, I look at some habits that we can incorporate in our day-to-day lives, and I focus especially on the Liturgy of the Hours, which is the official public prayer of the Church. We look at what it is, why to pray it, and how to do so. So I hope you enjoy this talk. If you'd like to hear them live, come to Catholicism 101 on Thursdays at 7 p.m. in room 201. Thanks, God bless, and gigam. The first time that we met last week, we began a series on rule of life. Father Ryan Higdon at Magnify spoke about rule of life in this Catholicism 101 series. We're kind of going deeper into that theme. So last week, we spoke about uh, a weekly rule of life. We spoke about the commandment, keep holy the Sabbath. And I laid out what we were going to be doing with these uh, Catholicism 101 classes, this kind of module. So last time it was weekly holiness. Today we're going to be speaking about daily holiness. And next week we're going to actually pray this uh, in a solemn way, in a beautiful way, in a way that's uh, with a choir, a choral vespers. So that's kind of the module that we have for this Catholicism 101 module. Uh, today, as I mentioned, we're going to be doing daily rule of life. And uh, just to review, what is a rule of life? Why have a rule of life in the first place? A rule of life, that, that word is coming from um, the Latin regula, which is like a, a ruler. So you get to kind of line up your life according to this rule. It's, it's not necessarily a kind of slavish um, obedience, but this kind of loving following of this rule to help you accomplish a purpose. All right. So some quotes for us to remember. Why would we have a rule of life in the first place? The first one from that famous uh, autobiography of St. Augustine. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. All right. So why a rule of life? Because we want to actually find rest. Our hearts are restless until they rest in communion with the Lord. And a rule of life is going to help us attain that goal. Last week we talked about the analogy of an athlete. Uh, we can really be inspired by Olympians because they order their life in a very uh, remarkable way, remarkable, right? Uh, the, uh, to accomplish a goal, to accomplish uh, winning the gold medal. And St. Paul mentions uh, them as a way for us to kind of, I don't know, uh, pump us up to do the same thing when it comes for an even greater prize. As wonderful as a gold medal is, it's nothing compared to eternal life with the Lord forever. So if they are willing to discipline themselves to reach that goal, how much more should we be ready to follow a rule of life to find whatever causes our hearts to finally rest? That's what's uh, behind this verse, Hebrews chapter 4, strive to enter into that rest. Need to strive because we often seek things that provide cheap thrills and not real rest. It's really easy to have shallow uh, experiences that distract us, perhaps cover up the restlessness, but don't actually provide us that rest that we are looking for. Striving is necessary because what will really give us that rest is nothing less than knowing and loving God. Jesus says to us in John chapter 10, I came that they might have life and have it to the full. And that life that he's talking about is the life of God. So the rest that we are seeking is nothing less than the life of God, knowing him as he knows himself and loving him as he loves himself, which is going to require discipline and striving on our part. That word discipline, the root of it is discipulus, disciple, a student. So it's not this kind of I don't know, self-improvement program, right, that you just do on your own. It is a relationship with a master who is teaching us. Uh, that is what discipline, at least in the way that we're talking about it in terms of a rule of life, amounts to. It's this uh, loving relationship following the Lord in order to receive that rest that we are seeking. All right? That brings us ultimately to this last Bible verse, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Jesus says to us, Come to me, all you who labor, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is the master, the teacher. He's saying, come to me and I will give you rest, what you're actually seeking. And a rule of life is a way that we can follow him in a way that causes these disciplines to be easy and light. It gives us a rhythm, right? Think about how difficult it would be if you had to think about how to walk every single day, right? But you've got it now. You don't have to think about that. Uh, if we incorporate these disciplines into our life, into our daily habits of holiness, right, it's going to be something that we do easily and with lightness rather than something that's arduous all the time. So that's kind of what I'm hoping for is that we might use the liturgy of the hours, we'll talk about that later, to enter into this rhythm, something that causes us to follow the Lord with easiness and lightness. So here's the schedule for today's lesson. I put that psalm in there because it's what came to mind when I thought of the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. We're going to order our day in order to rejoice and be glad in this day that the Lord has made. So three things that we'll have in today's class. We're going to look at sources of grace. Right? Remember, grace is simply, uh, two, it's, it's two things. You can see grace as undeserved favor. And grace is also the life of God. So the favor that God gives us completely freely in an undeserved way is nothing less than his own life. And so where do we get that life? That's what we'll look at. Uh, we're going to look at the liturgy of the hours itself, kind of the what it is, why to pray it, and how to do so. And then we're going to pray it tonight. So we're not going to do it in the way that we'll do it uh, tomorrow, or excuse me, next week on Thursday, but uh, we will Pray it tonight, because uh, I assume everyone has a smartphone, because it's 2020, and that's all that you need in order to uh, pray the Liturgy of the Hours. So we'll pray Vespers and Evening Prayer. Um, are you all okay back there? We have seats all in the middle um, if you want to sit down. Feel free to stay back there if you want. Sometimes when the Aggie Catholic squeeze doesn't work, and there's still plenty of seats and people don't come in, I feel guilty. I'm like up there seeing everyone stand in the back and there's plenty of seats, but I, I don't know what to do. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. Number one, sources of grace. So, sources of grace, threefold, the sacraments, prayer, and love. You might remember this quotation from Pope Benedict. Uh, this was what he saw as the essentials of holiness. What does it really amount to in the very nitty-gritty details of a life of holiness? He says, what is the essential? The essential means never leaving a Sunday without an encounter with the risen Christ in the Eucharist. There's the sacrament. This is not an additional burden, but is light for the whole week. It means never beginning and never ending a day without at least a brief contact with God. There's prayer. And on the path of our life, it means following the signposts that God has communicated to us in the Ten Commandments, interpreted with Christ, which are merely the explanation of what love is in specific situations. There you have love. It seems to me that this is the true simplicity and greatness of a life of holiness. All right. So to be holy simply means to be in communion with God and to do so in your everyday life. It doesn't just happen in the chapel. It certainly does happen in the chapel, but it also happens how you study, how you interact, uh, how you live your life. Holiness is embodying the very grace of God, His life in the particular here and now of your life which is a student right now. So as Father Brian's been talking about at Daily Mass, living those particular four virtues, uh, which are necessary for holiness in a college student's life. You have chastity, sobriety, excellence, and faith. Those are the ones he's been emphasizing in his homily that we have in our confessional guide in the, in the chapel. So uh, this is the same thing that, that we're getting at. We're getting at embodying the very life of God where you are right now. So the sources of grace to do so are the sacraments, which he said in the Eucharist, prayer, 
and love. So let's look uh, at those. All right. The sacraments. Um, now, one way of understanding how these three sources of grace fit together could be like the goal, uh, the necessary disposition to get to that goal, and then the fruit of having attained that goal. That's how they could fit together. I'm not saying it's the only way, but it's one way that we could see how these three sources of grace fit together, right? The sacraments, the source and the summit of the Christian life. So that's where all of our grace comes from, and it's where we are seeking to go, because the sacraments bring us into communion with God in a way that nothing else does. This is my body, this is my blood, which is for you. Jesus says to us, this is my life. All that I am, I give myself to you. And there's nothing like it on earth. It really is heaven on earth. It's the source and the summit of the Christian life, where we get everything that it means to be a Christian and where we're going. So we see this quotation from the Catechism, paragraph 1127. Celebrated worthily in faith, the sacraments confer the grace that they signify. They are efficacious because in them Christ himself is at work. As fire transforms itself, excuse me, as fire transforms into itself everything it touches, so the Holy Spirit transforms into the divine life whatever is subjected to his power. Um, that last line is beautiful. That first line, that word efficacious, means it accomplishes what it symbolizes. So imagine if you came up to a stop sign and it stopped your car. Right? That's not actually what happens, right? It's, it's signaling to you, you need to stop. Now, if you came up to the stop sign and it actually stopped you, that would be efficacious. All right? So when we look at that in the uh, sacraments, Pouring water over a child's head, saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The symbol is cleansing, but it actually accomplishes what it signifies because the child is cleansed of original sin. So these sacraments accomplish in us grace in a way that nothing else can. They're efficacious because it's Jesus himself who is doing the sacrament, using human instruments to accomplish it. So whether it's Father Greg, whether it's even a non-believer in, the, term, in, in um, the case of baptism, in a, um, in a dire situation, an extreme necessity, anyone can baptize. It's not the ordinary way, but if someone says, I'm, uh, hey, I'm, I'm dying, can you baptize me, right? You baptize them. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that sacrament is efficacious because it's Christ working through the person. It's not dependent upon the particular holiness of the person. So there's like the source and the summit of our Christian life because they bring us into communion with the Lord in a way that nothing else can. All right. Now let's move to the second source of grace, prayer. And I'm saying prayer is the necessary disposition to receive the sacraments fruitfully. All right. We'll see this paragraph from the Catechism, number 1128. Nevertheless, the fruits of the sacraments also depend on the disposition of the one who receives them. So this, we can see this in, in two kinds of ways. Um, one is if, if we are in a state of mortal sin, so if we've committed a sin that's serious, that we knew was serious, and we chose to do so freely, we've broken our relationship with God. Um, imagine, as an analogy, a corpse that's on the ground. Right? You don't give a corpse something to eat. Um, it can't receive it. When we commit mortal sin, our souls are like a corpse, and it's, un it's unable to receive the life of God. So the disposition that's necessary interiorly to receive the grace of the sacrament fruitfully is that it be alive in the state of grace. That's like one thing, but then there's also like, I need to actually know what's going on. So it happens, uh, unfortunately, sometimes that uh, it's happened even at St. Peter's. Um, Pope Benedict mentioned this in, um, in one of his Wednesday audiences, I think, um, where people going to St. Peter's, it's a very beautiful church, right? A lot of people who go there uh, who aren't Catholic, don't know what's happening, uh, will receive the Eucharist, Holy Communion, and think that it's a souvenir, right? put it in their purse, uh, take it home, right? So, so that kind of disposition wasn't really great for them to actually receive the grace of that sacrament. So we need to be in relationship with God and we need to know 
what is being celebrated in order to receive it fruitfully. All right? Prayer is a great way for us to know what's going on. We might know on one level, yes, the Mass is the sacrifice of Christ on Calvary, uh, given to us his, his whole life, the resurrection as well. It's, it's the very offering of Jesus and His um, humanity and divinity to the Father that we get taken up into, right? Um, we might, you know, have, have learned it's truly the body and blood of Christ when we were younger, but the more that we grow in understanding of the Mass, of the Eucharist, the deeper is going to be our appreciation of it, and the more fully we will be able to, oh, thank you, the more fully we'll be able to receive that sacrament. So, disposition is necessary. It's not just intellectual, it's also relational. So the more that I love God, which happens in prayer, the more fully I'll be able to celebrate the sacraments. All right. Then finally, the fruit. So, uh, we have the sacrament, which we are disposed to receive in prayer, and when we receive it fruitfully, the fruit is, here's the uh, citation from St. Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All right. When we receive uh, the sacraments, when we receive the life of God, it's going to bear fruit in our lives. And this is, these are some of the fruits that it will bear. That first one being love, which Pope Benedict was mentioning. Uh, if, if I eat cookies, right, especially late at night, uh, it's going to have a, a fruit, you might say, uh, which is right here uh, in the waistline. Uh, if I receive the life of God, it's going to have a fruit, and that fruit is that I too love, right? So there you go. Those are the sources of grace, how they may fit together. All right. So um, the next section, we're going to get into the Liturgy of the Hours, I promise. <laughs> this is the last slide that I want to talk about, just rule of life in general, um, the sources of grace. Remember, the sacraments are the goal. Right? The ones that we can receive often are Mass and Confession. Uh, the sacraments, I'm saying, are the goal. In a, like, goal is heaven, and the sacraments are the closest thing we get to heaven on earth. Right? Um, disposition to receive those sacraments is prayer. Some examples of prayer would be the liturgy, uh, the Mass, the liturgy of the hours, also meditation, so mental prayer, uh, reflecting upon the Gospels, uh, devotions, so it can be the rosary, the angelus, uh, chaplets, examination. Examination is going back over the day and reviewing, um, where was God today? Was I faithful to Him? Uh, did He give me grace in, the, in a certain area that I missed that I want to thank Him for now? Did I uh, show not faithfulness to the Lord that I want to apologize for? Examining the day is kind of like that uh, when, when Jesus multiplies the loaves, right? There's, there's so much bread and so much fish that they can't even eat it all. And they have these 12 wicker baskets left over to pick it all up. Examining the day is like the leftovers of, of what He has given to us. There's so much that He's given to us in a day. We can't receive it all. But when we examine ourselves at the end, we get to see and receive more of what He wants to give us. And then finally, the love, the fruits. So these are in our daily interactions and relationships. Uh, you can also see them in works of mercy. So the corporal works of mercy are those ones like feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, uh, burying the dead. Um, spiritual works of mercy would be things like um, correcting a sinner, teaching the ignorant, bearing wrongs uh, patiently. You can look those up. There's seven of each. It's just a traditional way of showing um, some things that might be fruits of real communion with God. Okay, so in terms of your rule of life, here are some things I want to uh, give you in terms of basics, the foundation, and then something for consideration in prayer. All right, so the basics, the foundation would be the precepts of the church. We talked about this yesterday, so I want to make sure that uh, we remember, right? What, first of all, what is the, the precepts of the church? What are the precepts of the church? No, okay, okay. Uh, in general, not what are the five. What are the five? So, so I'll, I'll say this because uh, uh, I'm getting red now. Um, 
the precepts of the church, these are kind of like the, the, the very necessary minimum. That's how the church describes them. The minimum of what it means to be a practicing Catholic. We want to make sure that these things are there. So the first one concerns Mass. How often do we need to go to Mass? Every Sunday and Holy Days of Obligation. Yeah. What about how often do we need to receive Holy Communion? Minimum. I'm not talking about beyond the minimum. Once a year during Easter. Uh, all right. How often do I need to go to confession? Once a year. All right. What about fasting? When do I fast? Ash Wednesday, Good Friday. What do I do during Fridays and Lent? Abstain from meat. What do I do during uh, Fridays during the year? Some other penance. That's right. That's right. And then the fifth one. Um, does anyone remember? Contribute to the church according to your means. That's good. That's good. This is like kind of like a rule of life in itself, right? The, the, the church has given us a kind of minimum rule of life that we want to make sure is in place so that we can be in relationship with the Lord and get, you know, our hearts to be at rest. But uh, we have this saint here, very recently canonized. Uh, he was an English cardinal. He converted from uh, the Church of England, St. John Henry Newman. Uh, beautiful quote about uh, holiness. I just want to make sure I'm not going to lose the, um, the slide. So, if you ask me what you are to do in order to be perfect, I say first, do not lie in bed beyond the due time of rising. Give your first thoughts to God. Make a good visit to the Blessed Sacrament. Say the Angelus devoutly. Eat and drink to God's glory. Say the Rosary well. Be recollected. Keep out bad thoughts. Make your evening meditation well. Examine yourself daily. Go to bed in good time, and you are already perfect. Right. Beautiful, beautiful reflection. Uh, it's not something that's heavy and burdensome. The Lord came to give us uh, His love. He said, I will give you rest. Right. Uh, so His burden is easy. His yoke is light. Uh, yoke is light, burden, however He said it. <laughs> right? <laughs> Uh, so, so this uh, he was um, in Oxford, so he has a lot to uh, to offer us in terms of being a college student, what it, what holiness might look like. So, as you're considering these things, again, I'm going to bring up this passage from First Corinthians, the uh, the athlete analogy. Do you not know that the runners in the stadium all run the race, but only one wins the prize? Run so as to win. Every athlete exercises discipline in every way. They do it to win a perishable crown, but we an imperishable one. All right. So I'm saying that in two ways. One is to push yourself like an athlete does. The other is not to push yourself to the point of injury because that is too much. Uh, the athlete's not going to win if they strain their muscles and that would completely go against the goal. The goal is to win the prize. So you want to push yourself or they won't have that opportunity, they won't probably win, but you don't want to hurt yourself. So if you take on too many spiritual exercises, that doesn't necessarily mean holiness. It might just mean you have strained spiritual muscles and you give up, right? So kind of use that as uh, an analogy as you consider what kinds of spiritual disciplines to put into your life, all right? So now we're going to get to Liturgy of the Hours, where we were advertising the whole time. This is a cool little picture here. Uh, this is a monk hunched over like this. That's what all monks do. They all eventually look like that. Uh, uh, you have the day broken up into um, hour, like three-hour segments. Uh, the liturgy of the hours uh, is supposed to sanctify the whole day. So, uh, batons would be when the... Uh, it, it, these, these names were given to it. We'll talk about it, but I'll just leave it at that. It, you can kind of see how it starts. Uh, this would be in the morning, this would be in the afternoon, this would be in the evening, and this would be at night. Uh, and the monk is sanctifying his whole day through the liturgy of the hours by marking each of those kind of turns of day with a prayer. So, liturgy of the hours, uh, we're going to look at what it is, why to pray it, and how to do so. All right. Here's another one, another monk. He's praying like he does have better posture. <laughs> That's right. He's straight. So, uh, Lauds. Lauds is morning prayer. Right? So you can see the sun coming up over here. Uh, he's praying morning prayer. So 
Uh, what is it? Um, if you've ever heard of the breviary, the divine office, if you've ever heard of morning prayer or lauds or vespers or evening prayer or Compline, if you've ever you know, been to Europe and seen those on some churches or, or, or things like that, all of that is um, kind of different words to talk about this prayer, the liturgy of the hour. So what is it? On a basic level, along with the Mass, it's the official public worship of the Catholic Church. Uh, that means it's in a different category from personal devotions and personal private prayers. Okay? I'm not pitting one against the other, I'm just distinguishing them. What do I mean by an official prayer? Um, so Father Brian has been given the office of pastor. That's, that's an office that he has. And so some of his official duties right, uh, would include praying for his parishioners, governing this parish, uh, sanctifying this parish, celebrating uh, the sacraments here. So the, the duties of his office right, uh, is what he has been commissioned to do. Uh, the official prayer of the church is, is what we do in terms of our office, what we have been given to do. And each one of us, because we are baptized, because we've been uh, made sons and daughters of God, we have an office to praise the Lord, to thank Him, to offer prayers and supplications and petitions and praises to God. And this is the official way to do it uh, in the Catholic Church. Uh, so this has been handed on to us. Uh, kind of as really a birthright, the birthright being our baptism, to be able to do this duty. Uh, priests and nuns promise to do so. So if I don't do it, it's, it's a grave sin, because I promise. If you break a promise to God, it's serious stuff, right? Uh, lay people are encouraged to do so, not obliged to do so. Uh, and it's really cool, because when you pray the Liturgy of the Hours, you are doing something that's official. You've been commissioned. Uh, to pray uh, in the name of the church and for the church. Uh, pretty cool. So what does it include? Uh, that's what it is. It's the official public worship of the Catholic Church, like the Mass. Uh, what does it include? It's a repeating cycle of psalms, biblical canticles, scripture readings, petitions, and other prayers that follow the seasons and the feasts of the church calendar. All right. So. Uh, today, uh, it was what uh, we call, we're, we're in ordinary time. So, so the Liturgy of the Hours book that I'm using is for ordinary time. Tomorrow is the f memorial of St. John Bosco, January 31st. So at Mass, you'll see the priest in white uh, celebrating the memorial of that saint. And in the Liturgy of the Hours, all of the prayers that you'll be saying are also indicative and reflective of that memorial that we're celebrating. This is a great way to remain in communion with the way that the church is praying, regardless of whether you attend Mass that day. All right. Uh, does it take several hours? Liturgy of the hours. Uh, that's kind of scary. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, hours. Uh, so the, the prayers are arranged in five sets or five hours, hours. These are to be prayed at a certain point in the day. So you have uh, morning, midday, evening, night, and a kind of floating hour that can be prayed at, at any uh, time of the day. Um, generally, it's prayed before the sun uh, comes up. As I mentioned, uh, priests and nuns have to pray uh, the whole thing. As uh, a layperson, you don't have to pray uh, the whole thing. You don't have to pray it at all. So don't think that oh, if I'm going to pray this, I'm going to have to do all five of these hours. You could start with just night prayer, which is, is the shortest one. Um, and it would be a great way to kind of get into the habit of sanctifying your day with this official prayer of the church. All right. So let's go to why. A little bit smaller text here. Try to fit it all in one. All right. So we have another cool picture. This is Vespers. Uh, they're singing in common. This is the first one that they're in common. The sun is going down. Vespers is evening prayer. So they're marking their, uh, that part of the day with praise to God. Okay, so 
Why? Why pray Liturgy of the Hours? Let's talk about how it came about in the first place. These two beautiful scripture passages, Psalm 55, Evening, morning, and afternoon do I pray and cry, and He will hear my voice. Those particular hours the psalmist is praying. Um, other times you have the psalmist saying, Seven times a day I praise you. Right? So he's a little bit more pious than this one. Um, <laughs> You have uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, pray without ceasing, pray without ceasing. The church has seen the liturgy of the hours as one way of fulfilling that command. So how did it come about? First, it begins with Mosaic Law. So three times a day, you can see this in that Psalm 55, as well as Daniel. Uh, he's eventually caught uh, for breaking the law uh, because he was praying to God and not to this idol that had been made. Uh, and they knew where to catch him because he always prayed uh, facing the temple of Jerusalem three times a day. Gotcha, right? Uh, they, they caught him. All right, the apostles and the first Christians continued this practice of three times a day. You can see this in the Acts of the Apostles. Um, after, the, um, after the Christian religion was made legal and, um, and made the official religion, no one was able to become martyrs anymore. So the way to be a radical Christian was to go out into the desert. So they went out into the desert and they began to pray all 150 psalms. Uh, eventually, these hermits who went out into the desert to radically follow Christ uh, began to organize and uh, have these monasteries where they would live together. St. Benedict um, is one of the, uh, the biggest influences in monasticism and being monks in the West. And he is the one who organized those 150 psalms into particular prayers and gave them their names, called it the divine office, right? So if we go back over here, these are the names that he gave the prayers. They were um, divided up three hours at a time, right? So matins, lauds, prime, terts, sex, non, vespers, compline, right? St. Benedict is the one who organized that, gave it its name, and that's what spread from there. Okay, so let's go back. Is this where we are? All right. So after St. Benedict, uh, the, the next thing that kind of happened in terms of uh, the history of the Liturgy of the Hours is that this was prayed in the cathedrals. And uh, lay people, non-clergy, would come and pray the office, pray the divine office. At that time, it wasn't very common for daily mass to be celebrated, and this was their way of participating in the public official prayer of the church. Um, eventually, it began to decrease in popularity. And you can attribute this to increased devotional prayer. Right? The rosary, for example, um, the, the full rosary had 150 Hail Marys. Right? So those three sets of the mysteries originally, before St. John Paul added uh, a, fourth, a fourth set of mysteries, you had uh, uh, three sets of mysteries with 50 Hail Marys in each one, and that was kind of echoing the 150 Psalms. So this was a way for uh, someone who couldn't read uh, to kind of join in that, that official prayer as best as they could. Um, so that, uh, in the increase in devotions and also the increase in daily Mass, the ability to attend uh, Mass every day, kind of accounted for the, de the decrease in the popularity of Liturgy of the Hours. So then there were some reforms. Uh, if, you, if you've ever, you know, again, been in some museums or gone to Europe and you see these enormous manuscripts that are beautifully, um, beautifully written, that's what he's doing right now is writing this manuscript of the Psalms. Um, so they would put these enormous books, remember before the printing press, there weren't that many books around. So they would make these big books, put them, you know, in the middle of like, five monks, and they would all read from there and chant from there and sing from there. Well, that's fine for monks because they're all in one place. They're not moving anywhere. Um, but what about these, these new religious, the friars, the, the Franciscans and the Dominicans? They were going out everywhere and preaching the gospel as these, as these kind of like mendicants, these beggars who didn't have a home and stability. What were they going to do? Well, they made these enormous books into small ones and called it the breviary. Uh, to make it a little bit smaller, right, so that they could take this and continue to enter into that official prayer of the church. Uh, that's where you hear the, uh, the word breviary. That's where that comes from. 
you have some more reforms, St. Pius X, uh, Pius Twelfth, and eventually Vatican II uh, would reform the Liturgy of the Hours. The most recent reform is, is Vatican II, right, that just happened in the uh, early, in the mid-60s. Uh, and the Liturgy of the Hours was simplified in order that it might become the prayer of the whole people of God. So before, um, before this reform, all 150 psalms were prayed in one week. Um, and there were lots of hours. Um, you, you, you had to pray all of those hours in that wheel that, that I uh, spoke about. Now there are, are five hours. You have morning prayer, midday prayer, vespers, or evening prayer, night prayer, and then office of readings. Five hours, the 150 psalms, about, are prayed in a four-week cycle. So you pray them in four weeks now instead of one. This makes it possible, uh, and it's simplified so that it might become the prayer of the whole people of God, including the laity. So, all right, that's how it came about. Um, it came about, uh, really, from the Lord, who had uh, revealed to His chosen people uh, this way of praying, and now it has been passed on to us. Uh, so when we enter into this, we're entering into something really ancient, really, uh, and, and really from God. So does it help my spiritual life? Why would I pray this in the first place? I already got my prayers. Okay. Uh, uh, here are some things that the Liturgy of the Hours does. It orders your life. If we're talking about a rule of life, committing to uh, praying at certain times of the day will allow you to give order to your life, to orient it towards a certain goal. Um, that's a beautiful fruit of the Liturgy of the Hours. If I'm going to follow these particular times of prayer, well, that means I'm going to go to bed on time, wake up at a certain time, uh, make time to pray before I go to school, stop in the middle of classes, things like that. And all of a sudden, I'm ordering my life because I want to praise the Lord, because I want to live for Him. And that's a beautiful order to have to your life. Um, it forms your personal prayer. So we have this, uh, I want to share this beautiful uh, quotation from, again, St. Thomas Aquinas uh, and St. Augustine, two of the greatest theologians in the history of the church. Uh, St. Thomas says uh, about the Lord's Prayer. So the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, this is a memorized prayer. This is something, you know, you might say, well, don't, don't you just want to pray from the heart? Yes, you want to pray from the heart. Absolutely. It's possible to say any prayer and not mean it. And it is important to have that uh, interior devotion. Uh, when the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray um, in the way that John taught his disciples how to pray, he didn't say, well, now what you need to do is go into like a chapel and sit down and, and then quiet yourself for three minutes and then read this and then reflect upon it, right? Oh, that's a really good prayer. You should do that. But what did Jesus say? When you pray, say, Our Father, who art, and He gave them a memorized prayer. Why? Why would He give us a memorized prayer? This is what uh, St. Thomas says. The Lord's Prayer is most perfect because, as Augustine says, he's quoting Augustine, if we pray rightly and fittingly, we can say nothing else but what is contained in this prayer of our Lord. Now in the Lord's Prayer, not only do we ask for all that we may rightly desire, but also in the order wherein we ought to desire them, so that this prayer not only teaches us to ask, but also directs all of our affections. Right? So the Our Father is not only uh, teaching us to ask the Lord for these things, that His name be hallowed, that His will be done, that we receive our daily bread. It's not only teaching us to ask these things, it's also kind of directing our heart to want them in the right order. First, we would want, in a, in a real relationship of love, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. First, we want his glory, that his name be hallowed. Uh, thy kingdom come. Then we want his will to be done uh, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, what we need in order to do his will. Right? Uh, forgive us our trespasses, the obstacles that get in the way, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Um, lead us not into temptation, the things that can cause those obstacles, uh, but deliver us from evil, the kind of uh, deficiencies of life that may cause us to be tempted. So uh, these kinds of memorized prayers allow us to direct our hearts and have them formed to want 
what we want, what we should want in the order that we should want it. First, we want God's glory. Then we want to participate in that glory. That's what it means that His will be done, right? Strive to enter into that rest. That means strive to know Him and love Him, and that's what He wants. That's His will. Um, so, when we pray the Liturgy of the Hours, we have an opportunity uh, to form our own personal prayer. It's, and, and one way that I want to share with you how that can happen is, uh, as I mentioned, the Liturgy of the Hours is mostly uh, made up of psalms. These 150 psalms, they, they include the full range of human emotion, uh, from great excitement and joy and jubilation to sorrow, to sadness, to anger, to confusion. Uh, it shows that no matter what we're feeling and experiencing, the Lord wants us to share that with Him honestly. Um, if I have a shallow relationship with someone, I don't share with them on um, really what's going on. If I don't really know the person, you know, if we're, if we're strangers, and He asks me, how are you doing? Fine. That's it. Don't talk to me, right? Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to let him in uh, because I don't know him. But the more I know someone, how are you doing? Man, it's been a rough day. Um, and if he's my best friend, right, I'll say why it was a bad day uh, and get into that. Um, and if he caused the bad day, right, um, if I'm willing to share with him even that, that means I have a deep trust that our friendship is strong enough to endure that. Um, I, you know, I've, I've, I'm 32 years old. I've had, a, I've had a few difficult conversations with someone who's hurt me, right? And I've had to bring it up. Thanks be to God at this point, um, I almost look forward, at least when it comes to a relationship with someone that I trust, I almost look forward to those conversations because I know that it's actually going to bring us closer together. This is what happened this is how it made me feel. This is what I want in the future, right? That kind of depth, that kind of intimacy with someone is only possible when you really love them and trust them. So when God gives us these psalms, these are what He wrote. He's the uh, first author of the Bible, right? He wrote these psalms. When He gives us every single emotion to pray, including things like, Why have you abandoned me? Right? He's wanting us to have a real intimate relationship of trust. So praying this allows us to grow in that, to be confirmed in it, um, encouraged to have that relationship of trust. Right? It sanctifies your day. Right? Uh, for example, if you're in the middle of the day and you have classes and you stop and you do midday prayer, you get to stop, offer every single bit of study that you just did to the Lord, and ask for His grace as you take the, text, the test you know, that's in the next class, right? You get to offer it to Him, and you get to ask for His help. That's just one way. And it happens at every hour, every hinge, every kind of period of the day. You get to say, Lord, thank You for waking me up. Um, Lord, thank You for this work that You've given me, this vocation. Lord, thank You for everything I've received in the day at evening prayer. Lord, keep me um, at night and, and protect me. Uh, so uh, it sanctifies every kind of moment of your day. You get to unite with the church, and this is on a couple of, um, I mean this in a couple of ways. The most profound way is that we're united with Jesus. You know, the church is the body of Christ. St. Paul says that throughout the New Testament letters. So uh, when we unite with the body of Christ, we're uniting with Jesus, the head. He is the head. We are the members of His body. From all eternity, the Word of God, the eternal Son of the Father, has been giving Himself in love to the Father. Father knows and loves the Son entirely. The Son knows and entrusts and loves, himself, loves the Father entirely, and their mutual love is so strong that it itself is the Holy Spirit. When He became man, He invited us into that relationship. That's what holiness is. We literally incorporate ourselves into Christ, into the body of Christ, in order to be a part of that communion of love, the love of the Son giving Himself to the Father. When we pray this official prayer of the church, this office to give 
ourselves back to the Father, we are united with Jesus, our head, in that eternal love song that He is giving back to the Father. That's the most profound way, right, that it means to unite ourselves with the church. We also get to unite ourselves with the church in her celebration of the seasons, right? We're in ordinary time. We'll have Lent coming up, then Easter. There's also Advent and Christmas. The feasts tomorrow is John Bosco. Next Thursday is going to be some martyrs. I forget which ones. I think it's St. Paul Miki and Companions, right? Uh, there we go. We got a yes from the uh, soon-to-be Jesuit, right? Maybe. We don't know. St. <laughs> Paul Miki was a Jesuit. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we get, to, we get to unite ourselves with the, ch with the calendar of the church, uh, remembering the saints, our brothers and sisters who have gone before us. Uh, and we get to uh, plead for the church, uh, to give supplications and petitions. Uh, the, the people who are, um, I, I talked to my spiritual director in Rome today, so it's seven hour difference uh, right now. And um, I'm praying the same prayers that he is praying all across the world. Uh, I'm united with Pope Francis, for example, um, in praying these prayers. So just like um, if you don't understand a language of a country that you go to, you go to Mass, like, wait, I actually do know what's going on, right? Uh, that's kind of because we're all celebrating the Mass. Same with the Liturgy of the Hours. You're united with the Church throughout the world in celebrating this beautiful prayer, uh, praying with and for all Christians. It extends the celebration of the Mass, so the grace that you receive in the Eucharist gets extended through the various hours of the day, and it immerses you in Scripture, right? How bad are we Catholics uh, with Scripture, right? And how bad we shouldn't be. <laughs> uh, so, so you want to know like an easy way just to like saturate yourself with the Lord's Word is uh, to pray the breviary. It's, it's nothing but psalms, biblical canticles, uh, you have readings throughout it. It's, it's a great way to, to know uh, the scriptures much more intimately. So that's why. That's the why of the Liturgy of the Hours. Okay. This is the last one um, that I'm going to say. Compline. Compline is night prayer. Uh, there's like this like, little devil trying to get him when he goes to sleep. And because he prayed Compline, the angel saying, uh uh uh, right? <laughs> <laughs> protecting him. Protect us, Lord, as we stay awake. Watch over us as we sleep, that awake we may keep watch with Christ and asleep rest in his peace. That's the prayer you pray at night prayer. It's beautiful. Uh, so where do I get the books? Where do I, this, is, um, this is one volume of four of the Liturgy of the Hours. To pray uh, the full Liturgy of the Hours, you need this four-volume set. Um, you can get that on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Uh, <laughs> It's a four, that's about $155. Uh, I see some people have the Christian prayer. This is a one-volume set. With that, you won't be able to pray the whole um, Liturgy of the Hours. You'll be able to pray the three that are kind of most popular, most recommended, uh, which is morning prayer, evening prayer, and night prayer. It has some uh, prayers of, of midday prayer and office of readings, but, but not everything. Shorter Christian prayer is even smaller. Um, and it, it basically gets you morning prayer and evening prayer most of the time. Um, so um, this is like somewhere around $35. This is like $18. Here are some free ways to pray, uh, which I recommend before, before getting um, invested uh, in, in this. iBrievery, whether you're on Android or on an iPhone, uh, you can get iBrievery and that uh, also takes away the kind of difficulty of learning how to flip all of these ribbons um, to, to follow the Liturgy of the Hours. There used to be this thing called breviary insurance for priests. It was a joke. It never actually existed. Uh, but a priest is uh, required to pray this, right? So his ribbons should be somewhere at every point of the day. And let's say he, he passed away, right? Well, they would look to see where his ribbons were to see if he was a good priest or not. So, so, so breviary insurance was uh, to make sure that someone would come and put the ribbons in the right place before anyone else, <laughs> anyone else saw uh, whether you were a good priest or not. Never existed, obviously, obviously. 
Uh, and now th it doesn't exist anymore because everyone prays on their phone, so you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know. <laughs> uh, so the, the last one that I'll mention is this podcast, uh, PlayStation Portable. Uh. We laugh. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's someone who prays the liturgy of the hours, and you can listen to it and follow along. So pretty cool. Can I pray it alone? Yes. Yes, you don't have to be in common. Um, it's, it's the public official prayer of the church, so it's good to be in common, and, uh, but you don't have to pray it um, in common. You can pray it alone. Here's this citation from the general instruction to the Liturgy of the Hours, or Giloth, uh, Giloth number 9. <laughs> Though prayer in private and in seclusion is always necessary and to be encouraged and is practiced by the members of the church through Christ and the Holy Spirit, there is a special excellence in the prayer of the community. Christ himself has said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. So it's good to pray this in uh, common, in community. I have um, some good friends in Austin. They have six kiddos. They're all my God kids. And uh, mom and dad, my friends, they uh, pray evening prayer or night prayer together. Uh, and what they mentioned to me as a, as a married couple, uh, especially at the beginning of their, of their marriage, they really enjoyed Liturgy of the Hours as a way to pray together. So um, you know, when you kind of do your, your private prayers together, it's like, um, well, I say my prayers and I, and I listen as she says her prayers and we're just kind of next to each other praying, right? That's, that's how it could feel, right? I'm not saying that's not praying together, um, but that's, that's kind of maybe how he felt, and he really enjoyed actually praying together this office, this official prayer, um, and it has brought them together every single night, um, and I hope, uh, if I can push them in the right direction, it's going to bring their kids eventually uh, to praying this thing. It's, it's a really cool way, if you're called to marriage, thinking about that, right, to bring the life of the church into the home. Right? How often do you might hear like the thing of, I, I don't know, this is just what I do on Sunday or uh, Christmas and Easter, and it's, it's a completely different world. Uh, but you get to bring that world, the life of the church, into your home to be the domestic church, to pray this office. Uh, very, very beautiful. So that's a way of praying it in common, um, obviously with your family, but with friends as well. At some point, uh, it was prayed in common here at St. Mary's. I don't think it is anymore. Um, maybe, maybe it will happen if I can inspire y'all, right? Uh, but we are going to pray it in common next Thursday, and it's going to be beautiful. We're also going to pray it in common this evening. All right, well, I'll give you a blessing and, and send you off. In the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit come upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you all.